Hello, welcome back to season two of the Faith in Development podcast brought to you by Tear Fund. I am Sabine Husi, your host for this conversation. Today, we will focus on the journey to healing, which is Tear Fund's model to responding to sexual and gender-based violence. And I will be in conversation with Solange Bonigawa, who is Tear Fund's Survivor Movement Coordinator, and Esperande Vigirimana, who co-leads the Pepisa Survivor Network in South Africa. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Esperande and Solange, for being uh, with us on this uh, exploring one of Tier Fund approaches to responding to sexual and gender-based violence called The Journey to Healing. I would like to just pass it over to my colleague Solange to, to just really give us an overview of what this approach is about. Thank you, Sabine. As I might also repeat about my role for the audience sake, uh, I'm coordinating the global survivor movement in Tier Fund. The journey started all in the beginning of 2013, when Tier Fund had to want to explore around the issues of sexual gender-based violence in South Africa and in other countries, DRC, Burundi, and the Central African Republic, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Myanmar, and many other countries, Colombia, to name few. The question we were asking ourselves, we were looking at what was surrounding us, the issues of rape, and the question was, why are these things happening? But we did not have an answer to that until we had to look for the right people to answer to the question. And we, 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 we said there are faith leaders, they don't have an answer, but we said, how can we reach to those people who are being affected by the issue, sexual gender-based violence. Those comes to be these women, including Esperanza and many others, where we went to them with a simple question to understand their understanding about sexual gender-based violence and many other questions that we followed. But what we picked up from them, the question was, is anyone who is here to listen to us now? Because they knew that more people came before us, many more people came before us, but no one came back to them, meaning no one listened to them. You may hear, but you don't listen. Tear Fund was there to listen to them. And in the process of listening to them, that is where the journey to healing approach emerged. It took us a long journey, Tear Fund, I refer to Vina, Prabhu, and everyone, those who were closer at the beginning of this program. What we, we picked up, it was a great opportunity for Tear Fund to learn from survivors. And we sat with them, and they, they made us aware of what it is to be a survivor of sexual gender-based violence. We took turns to run focus group discussion with the survivors. Vina would run one, I would run another one until we were able to hear and listen to their needs. And the needs was 
we wish we can be acknowledged that we are here in the community as the survivors of sexual gender-based violence because the program was being spoken about in government institution department, but it was a story without a person behind it. Then we were able to have survivors to come and teach us what it is that the gender and based violence doing to them. From there, we, we couldn't really hold everything into our head. That is where we decided to put things on the paper and we, de we developed some resources. Tier Fund has now two important great resources reflecting the voice of survivors, the journey to healing by survivors and with the survivors. From there, we even understood where they were telling us that those are the survivors. There is nothing about us without us. And that means you cannot speak on behalf of survivors. Speak with them. They want a person who can journey with them, who can really push them. They know where they want to go. And that is what is Esperanza will share with you here, showing the journey, how it started as individual, how she experienced it, and how, how far she has gone in terms of healing. And I'm sure she won't speak on her behalf alone. She'll be bringing her colleagues alongside with her story. Thank you very much, Solange. Um, so you've mentioned a few people um, that uh, worked uh, with you on this. So you've mentioned Vina, so that's Vina O'Sullivan, who has been a, a pioneer uh, of this work around sexual and gender-based violence uh, in Tier Fund. And you've also mentioned uh, Prabhu, Prabhu Deepan, who has really been the architect of the transfer masculinity approach. And uh, our audience will have the opportunity to hear from them in the coming episodes as well as they share uh, really their heart um, and, and how all this work started. So if I may just back quickly to, uh, to what you were talking about. So you mentioned that we have uh, two resources. Can you tell us what are the names, what are they called? And maybe very briefly say, what is the purpose of each, each resource and what elements of the journey to healing process are in those resources? The, the best resource is a shared journey. It's a resource that contains the knowledge and the, the, the feelings, the emotions of those survivors who started the journey with us. They had to inform, to, to give us the insight from their side on what steps that are needed for them to, to feel that something is happening in their lives and something positive happening in their lives. That is when through that process of sharing their stories and everything, they realize that, oh, it's not about sharing the story alone. It's a journey. And they had to name the resource a shared journey because they could see now they are no longer static. They are not standing on one point or sitting on one point. They are moving and moving it together. And they named it as a shared journey. This will have uh, the content of what 
they have gone through to become equipped and empowered to be better advocates for themselves in their journey of healing. The second one, which is out of the shadow, they, they, they were trying to communicate what happened to them. Once they were in that darkness, but this time they are into the light. They are out of the shadow. Now they are being seen. It's no longer a story without a person. It's a, a story with a person who can testify that what I'm saying, I know what it is. I experienced that. And that second resource is, it contains many activities that they use to go through a process of their healing of their traumas, their pain of their past. And it contains a lot of activities that helps them when they are in their support, their peer support group, that one can take turns to teach, to, to educate the new ones. Whenever they are forming a new group, they are no longer struggling. They have the resources that they can use in their development, in their learning, in their enabling, because they are no longer those people who feel ashamed of themselves. And through these resources, they are no longer feeling stigmatized because they are now equipped. They have what it takes to overcome the shame and the stigma at the society. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and I think, um, Solange, you have had uh, you know, the real privilege, uh, I suppose, of, of really journeying with these uh, wonderful uh, women over the years. And I would like to just really welcome Esperande uh, to this conversation. Esperande, uh, welcome. Uh, it's such a privilege to have you with us, to be sharing with us uh, where your heart is. You have been uh, such an inspiration for uh, many of us. And I think for us, Tiafant, who have been on a journey with you, uh, we have seen also what God can do in the lives uh, of people. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Esperanza Wigimana. I'm from Burundi. I'm a survivor of sexual violence in the conflict and also in the family. So, yeah, they say that I'm uh, under the team of leadership of Pepsi Survivor Network in South Africa and also a member of Global Survivor Network, SEMA. So yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm very happy to be with you and to share our journey. I call it our journey because I'm just here as Esperanza, but I'm representing two networks, which Pepsi Survivor Network in South Africa and Burundi Survivor Network and the Global Survivor Network. So I'm not, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Esperande. And, and I love what you're saying about you are not alone, um, that uh, it's, it is a, a movement of other, other women. And, and I guess in order for you to, take, to get to this level of representing um, other women, you had to start somewhere. So how did you get involved with Tear Fund? Can you just tell us about that? Yeah, um, I started to be involved with Tia Found from end of 2013 and start well 2014. I met, I met um, 
beautiful lady uh, called Solange. It was one of staff of Tia um, Found in that time. We meet in the church and then uh, we just, she just tell me about her work and what she's doing. And she mentioned that she wanted to work with survivor of sexual violence. And then in my heart, I was saying, wow, how God really can answer the prayers. Because as background, I was educated. I was at university doing master's degree in theology and development. I was busy um, publishing my story because I had the shame and the stigma to speak and to get a platform who I can tell what happened to me. So in that time, when I met Solange, she just told me just from nowhere, you know what? Um, um, I work with Tia Fund and we are putting together a group of survivors in the break the sirens. And then I ask her, what do you mean break sirens? Because I know that it was impossible in that time. I knew that the only way to break sirens, it was just to write something article about your story and no one cares to read or even come back to you. But again, and then I say, wow, I went to join. And then she asked me why? Because me too, I'm a survivor. From that time, that's how I joined Tear Fund and Pepsi Survivor Network. From that time, I started to go through my journey of healing, sharing my own story, and I gained a lot of energy with other survivors when they were sharing their stories. And, and the, the desire comes strong that we need to change our society, our community, and nationally and internationally. And I start, I start my own support group in my own community, mobilizing other survivors to train. So we had many um, survivors from all over the world, South African, North South African, and we have energy also to mobilize faith leaders and speak to uh, some institution, government institution in South Africa to see the change. It was just a time of breaking silence and a few believed that somebody is able to listen to us. Somebody is able to communicate with us and be able to tell what happened. So I think that's how I trained Tia Fund and then I become champion. <laughs> I moved to be a champion of teaching those manuals to new survivors in the community or in the church. I become coordinator of Pepisa, lead champion, just encouraging and supporting new survivors, just advocacy work and mobilizing other survivors in South Africa. Yeah. Wow, no, thank you so much. I mean, there is so much in, uh, in what you've just shared um, and a bit of the, the journey and how everything sort of started. But I wanted to ask you, um, so you, you've talked about, you know, the, the, so the survivor, the, the, the journey to healing, it's all about being part of a, a peer support group, isn't it? So are you able to sort of share with us what happens in a, in a peer support group? What are some of the conversations that you have? What activities do you do? And you've also talked about how you started in a support group and then you became a lead champion. What does that mean? What does a lead champion do? Um, thank you so much. Yeah, um, what's happened in a support group is a beautiful thing. Because uh, first of all, support group is a kind of uh, free group 
where you solve the whole problems. They say so, because we are different when we come in a support group, we come with different kind of trauma and frustration. So when you are tended to be a champion, so you get to be trained uh, to be a champion first, using those manually, um, Solange was, show, it was, was sharing with you. And then when new survivor come, you are able to listen to each other and try to encourage each other or find solutions. It's not that support group solve whole problem, but there is resources in the community. And the people also who are in the support group have a different kind of skills, for example. So we use our resources we have in, a, in our support group to solve problem or to reduce trauma. And also we network with churches network with police stations, network with uh, well-trained social workers or psychologists. When one of our members is not doing well, or you see it need medical support, then what a survivor can do, you send her to those network we create ourselves. But also uh, in support group, it's where you feel you are at home a person who understand you, who went through the same issue, where you are not ashamed to share anything because we speak the same language. We understand ourselves as survivors than anyone else outside can understand us. So there's always, it's just support group. It's just there to feel happy and to give you a hope that after trauma, there is a life there is a light outside there yeah i think when you you know when you said that support groups are not um there to solve everything but they are there to to sort of equip you i wonder if you can maybe just tell us you know are there any particular things that you you sort of discuss so so like any particular skills that you gain what are some of the skills that that people gain in a support group First of all, first skills when you join the support group, it's about yourself. Know how to communicate because everyone who have a trauma and I doesn't know how to communicate, communicate through anger and no one listen to. They will like, in a, if I can give you an example, in our own community, we see women who will speak with anger, uh, fight, and no one can understand that they had issue, but as we knew exactly that they have, you know, trauma that the reason they behave the way they behave. So when you come in our in our support group, that's the first things we 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 ask you to tell us what's going on. And then slowly, slowly we support you to know how you can communicate your problem to the leaders or to the police officer, things like that. And also we learn how to advocate issue that concerns survivors. Because as you may know, you cannot go, for example, to premier office and they'll start shouting you sh or you will be terrified. So in another way, we then also public speaking, you know, how we communicate. And again, it's not everyone who gain those, there's a different kind of skills that you can learn. Some want to, to do mobilization other survivors learn 
those skills for mobilizing. Those one who want to do advocacy work, we allow them to learn those advocacy skills. Yeah, no, I think that's really um, amazing. Just giving the giving everyone the opportunity to really reach the sort of God-given uh, potential. And, and, and as you say, you know, uh, many of the women would have had dreams before being violated. So it's about also, I suppose, restoring um, some of those dreams and, and really gaining hope um, for the future. And I also love how you, you're able, I guess, you know, within the, the group to sort of pinpoint to the different skills that are required for different people. And I know that, you know, we are all made differently. We have different skills and, 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 and talents. So the fact that you're able to identify those and really work on those um, so that people can speak out, that's, that's great. Earlier, you mentioned that one of the things that you do is also networking and going to churches. I wonder if you can maybe tell us some of your experience. What have your experience been uh, really engaging the church on this issue of sexual and gender-based violence, uh, because we know that, you know, the church is, you know, has been quite silent about what's happening. And it's not just in community, but it's outside, it's inside the church. Um, you know, women are really suffering. There is a lot of pain. Uh, so can you tell us what have you been doing with churches? How have you been uh, advocating and also have you faced any challenges um, within the church as you do that? Yeah, of course. Church, um, I always compare church like a hospital, you know, where you found everything. The sick people, people are getting well, things like that. So when we start Pepisa in South Africa, for example, which will be like the same like in Burundi, so they have their own challenges in accepting survivors because they deny that there's no survivors. No, man, that's their first position. They will say, no, we cannot talk about those issues. It's not good in the church. That's, those are the kind of responses we're getting when we start a, a Pepisa in South Africa, when we start it. If you can look in the pictures, you will see that when we start Pepisa in South Africa, uh, survivors were meeting under trees. And then when we're doing advocacy, you know, both of us, we realized that actually we are members of the churches, you know, in one way, we may not agree with what the church is doing, but we are the members. So what we did, like me in my personal capacity in my own community, first of all, I went and see the reverend of the church and then asked me, did he use your church as where we can meet? once a week or once a month so the answer was no because being a survivor it looks like you are not a holy there's something wrong with you they don't see as being raped as you know they see as adultery not a crime in the first place so and then I say okay I'm a member of the church from wrong time but we are so many, we are so many survivors in the church. And then he will ask how many, who, and the who. And then I start to name. And then they, we come as a group in peace because we're trained how to speak, how to behave and to know our problem and how we can approach the problem. And then we say, may we please allow us to use the venue just once a month. So, and we start there. Since they were a member of the church, they allow us, but they will never 
want to know what we are doing or who we are or what happened to us. And then we generate them like two years. Yeah, we use their venue, but they don't want to know what's going on with our group or why we are there. Later on, we invite them in some 16 days, most of the time. We invite them in our celebration, which Tia Found used to provide refreshment and everything and the preparation. And we invite them, many of them, they will come because we give them invitation and we start to give a testimony. And they're appreciating that we use their venue. And from those kind of um, sharing our story, what we have been doing and how we have been using their churches, they start actually to come back to us. Oh, that's good, you are doing well. And they start to learn from us and open up, you know, see us as normal people, you know, not like we are unholy, <laughs> just to see us normal Christian like anyone else. But in the beginning, there was a lot of rejections. Today, proudly, I can say that any time you can come in South Africa in Peter Marisburg and just say, I want to have a meeting, I just call one reverend and say, you know what? We need to use your venue for free. Then we say, yes, 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 we know you that you are doing well. You are doing good work. Thank you so much. I mean, again, there is so much in what you've just uh, shared. I think the, the, the bit about uh, survivors not being treated as holy. So you are sinners. Um, you know, what has happened to you is your fault. Um, a lot of blaming that's happening there. You know, not being given the opportunity to, to meet in, in the church, even though you are a member of that church, you know, having to meet under trees, I mean, that is a lot to take on. And I think it is very much what the church does uh, when it hasn't been really awakened to some of these issues. In this work, of course, you, you work with other women. Um, are you able to, to tell us how, how you, you support other women and, the, and the other survivors of, of sexual and gender-based violence? Because the, I think the first time I met you and even heard of your, your story, I think what really came through for me is when you said, I, I don't want this work to just be about me. I want this work to be, to be about other women. I want to reach out to my community. Can you just tell us how you've been able to support other women and other, um, and other survivors of sexual and gender-based violence? Being a survivor and the, and, and, and the good things when you are well empowered, like the way we were empowered in Etia Fund when we started in 2000, 14, 15, you get that energy and the desire to save others. In the Purpose of Survivor Network, when uh, Tiafond left us in 2017, everyone will feel like it will be the end of the network of the movement. We didn't really have much skills or education to run any organization, but we have, you know, um, resilience to have strong network that can challenge leadership, you know, not only in the community, but in our community, in our churches, in our government structure, which we, today we can proudly that we are a team of women, many of them, um, we are a team of seven, which we call the steering team of Pepisa, leading the Pepisa, and we were able from 2017 to have ourselves, our own um, website, <laughs> Uh, without having funds, you know, we never have any support after um, Tia Fund, <laughs> but today we do have website, 
where we are aiming to publish our work, our stories, to be known. And also, uh, when we start Pepisa, we never think that we'll be ONG. But as we were working in the community and also growing, we discovered that there's nothing you can do without being recognized under the law of the country. We work on it, and today we are ONQ, which is really very strong, very active work as a team, because everything is not about money for us. At Pepisa, our mission, if you can go to our website, our mission is just to end sexual violence in the world, not in South Africa only, in the world. That's our mission. So with money, without money, we work as a team and we mobilize other women. Give them the skills. We support any survivor under the court of law. And that push us to learn a little bit about the law, policies, you know, because we discover when we go to the court of law, we don't know the policies and, and, and a little bit of law. We educate ourselves there in order to support new survivors. That's the work we have been doing. And also, um, I can say, um, me, a member of Global Survivor Network called SEMA. So I think I was introduced Global Survivor Network SEMA in 2017 by Tia Fund, you know, before Tia Fund crossing South Africa introduced me to SEMA. <laughs> it was the first retreat Tia Fund pay for me. <laughs> and that had been grown where we learn a lot of things, where we share our stories and they learn from other survivors from all over the world. And under that Global Survivor Network, we're able to have a coach who helped us to build Pepisa, you know? <laughs> and also as Pepisa, we have a skills, those manually. We share them with people who are in Burundi, Congo, who are part of SEMA. So we become like global, you know, network even ourselves. We have been supporting many women, survivors all over the world. And also I was given opportunity under Tia Fund, I think uh, 2019, to mobilize survivors in Burundi and also equip church leaders how they can support survivors, which was really a very good opportunity to be in that kind of a platform. And so we have been supporting survivors on an international level, national level, and the community level. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I just love how you you said that you had to learn new things, and that and I think as sometimes as um, as women, you know, we have to adapt to what's happening around us. If there is a call to action to do something, we have to really make sure that we know what we're talking about. So when you said that you had to learn about the law because you were advocating for sort of a, with law, lawmakers and especially for survivors. Um, with the law. Um, I thought that was just really amazing. So I, I want to, um, to ask you about the, the, the movements that you have been talking about. So you talked about some of the work that you have done in Burundi. You've talked about Pepisa as well and SEMA. And for our audience, uh, actually, to, to let you know, the Pepisa network in, uh, in South Africa that um, Esperande co-leads, that work 
actually won the UK Charity Award in 2018 for approach that is not very expensive, but actually just providing space for people to meet. So it all starts with providing a space for people to meet, connect, learn from each other, share their experiences, and, and dream together, as, as Esperande has been talking about, dream together and really hope for a better future. And you've also talked about the global movement that, that you are part of, of now. Um, I, I know that uh, you've been going to various places prior to COVID and also during this time, uh, attending meetings uh, with some of the, that global uh, network. Can you tell us um, a bit about that as well? So I think you came from, uh, you know, sort of doing the work at sort of local level uh, with uh, the other survivors in South Africa. And then you now are sort of um, advocating at global uh, level at all with survivors from all over the world. Can you tell us how that is? And uh, maybe, uh, you know, the, the SEMA, the SEMA network, what it is that you do there and how you are involved? Yeah, oh, yes, um, since 2017, from the beginning, I become a member of um, SEMA, Global Survivor Network, which it have like, um, now it's almost 25 countries, you know, who are part of SEMA. So uh, typically uh, the work um, I'm doing there, it's more on advocacy, on reparation, what we call it uh, reparation, because most of the um, countries who are part of SEMA are from war countries or conflict countries. So our advocacy is around reparation, just to make sure that our uh, countries understand that when a woman is used like weapon of war, actually his uh, uh, government or his country supposed to do kind of reparation because it's something you do willingly because we were silenced from a long time and when, if you can look in, under peace building around those countries in a conflict, the survivors are not to be found, you know? We are just part of a statistic. So Global Survivor Network normally focus on reparation and also uh, a survivor want to be involved in their own peace building of their own country and also to push agenda of international organization to come in and support the survivors. Uh, CPR, for example, to see those a crime as a crime, not really like it was a war that woman was used as a weapon of war. Those are the kind of work we do advocacy on international organization, the UN, and also is not advocating only for change. We educate them, like we have been doing UN women military, educating them what it means, holistic approach, holistic approach, healing, what it does it mean for survivor because they operate in under the country of war where the survivor when it's raped, they're taken to hospital and they give a testimony and then they give another testimony to another person, to another person. How is it harmful to those survivors? So we're advocating that we need a holistic approach. One center where a survivor can go and have medical support, psychological support, emotional support, and also livelihood support, just to be one center. That's the things we have been uh, advocating on uh, 
international level under UN. Also, um, reparation, telling those countries to join in a reparation of survivors. Because we believe that if we are able to get reparation, and reparation doesn't mean that if even you give me compensation of, let's say, uh, $10,000, it doesn't mean that I'll be fine. But it means that you recognize that it was a crime happened to me. It's just reparation just to put something together a little bit, recognize that there are something wrong happened to me. You did something wrong to me. And then, or even apologize. Yeah, that's the kind of work we have been doing under Global Survivor Network. And also um, just to have each other as survivors and to share our story and, and just, and just have each other, support each other, love each other, and just give hope to each other. Really important work, really important work. Um, so as you were talking about reparation, uh, I'm, I'm just um, remembering earlier, you've talked about how there were some, I guess, uh, resistance, even, you know, challenges, even within within the church, as, as you were survivors uh, trying to, to meet and the way you were being perceived. I, I presume that as you do this advocacy, people are also resistant, that they're not necessarily uh, too keen to be to be hearing what you're saying, but are there any any success that you have seen in the global uh, sort of this advocacy work that you have been doing? How are the conversations progressing and moving forward? Any success, any glimpse of hope um, in what you, you have done, um, what you have seen? Yeah, um, I'm part of actually a member of uh, Global Fund for Reparation. Um, I'm member of the board. <laughs> So, yeah, there are a lot of progress. Many countries really did give money and reparation funds have been tested in Congo and also, I don't remember other countries, but there are other three countries I don't remember without anything. But, and also in Burundi, the research is, is done. So the global fund is testing in the community, in the countries. And for example, in Congo, they were able to give like, I think $1,000 to any survivor who went through, um, who were raped under the war. So they are testing, they are testing if global survivor is something can work, reparation can happen. And yes, it can happen. And there's a lot of progress. There is survivor global network is supporting many network especially um, like in the Congo, Mali, there are so many who have been really um, supported. But it's not only supporting them financially, it's supporting survivors nationally to approach their own government to acknowledge that there is a crime that took place in that a country. It's, it's more about uh, just telling the government, our government, like in Burundi or GST, you know what? Reparation is a possible. Let's show you that it's a possible because reparation is not about money only. It's about also acknowledge something, say sorry. So yeah, there is a lot of positive things happened. And like last month, I think last month I was in Uganda where a great region, uh, great region countries, it means Burundi, Congo, Uganda, um central africa yeah we come together to talk about what's happening in those countries because we are neighboring countries and rwanda and also 
they invite African Union to come to Terrace where they are doing four survivors, which was very interesting because um, they didn't have much to offer <laughs> to us. And the survivors were very strong, but there is us. They challenged them, you know, which was very good to us. And also we're able to, to have like a talk, which was emotionally with kids who are born out of rape which is a crisis we are having all over the world. To have um, you talking about the global, you know, being part of the, being a board member of the Global Fund for Reparation, I think is, uh, is, is just an amazing, amazing thing. It's uh, um, and, and really important as well. I, I, I think me hearing this and Solange and, and all of us at TIA Fund, hearing your story and uh, the things that you have been able to um to accomplish really it, you know it does humble us and we feel so privileged to have been part of your story to have been part of your healing as well and to also demonstrate that it is actually possible when that space is given to women to come together to share uh, their experiences and i think that you know there's opportunity for many more esperande to rise up and and really uh speak out and uh, and and really denounce some of these violence against women that is happening around the world. Um, so just maybe before I close with you, maybe if I may bring in uh, Solange, uh, Solange, if I may ask you maybe a last uh, question on my side. Uh, so you have of, of course been you know leading this work. You have been accompanying Esperande for the last uh, few years. When you hear some of these stories, even if as someone who has been been part of this, you know what what does it mean for you? It's so amazing. I did not know that it will go that far. I did not know that we will have the today Esperando. I did not know. I did not have anything that would prove that we will have the today Esperando and many others. But because we have God who is not pushing every work in every corner, leaving nothing behind. That is why we are able to hear this wonderful testimony of the work. It's not about me. I'm there also to learn. There's still resistance in the community out there. I was in, a, in a Zimbabwe recently. The same scenario when I met them with them in their community, Peter Marisberg, as she said, outside under the tree, it happened to me again last month, October in Zimbabwe. We were sitting outside Kaza, passing people are passing. Those are the human beings. And I have met other two groups, one women's in the church, we sit in the church, community leaders in the other actors, we met in one of the compound with the fresh air. But when I went to meet survivors, I met them outside. We sat in the dust. And it's, it's last month, October, you know. It's still a huge challenge, but there is hope. We did not know that you can raise the today Esperando. Thank you, Esperando. I don't know, I can answer to that far because I, I'm too emotional. Thank you. Thank you, Solange. We have been, I think, very much challenged by um, 
the stories that we're hearing and, uh, and the journey uh, that we are part of with the different women um, around the world, um, in Mali, in Chad, um, in Sierra Leone, um, in Zimbabwe, in Burundi. There are movements, um, there are women who are really rising up and speaking up and, 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 and us here at Tear Fund, we are also changed by um, those stories and just really seeing what the potential of the church, what the people of God can do to make a difference in the lives um, of people. So Esperande, thank you so much for being with us and really speaking to us and, and sharing of, of your story. You're a very good friend of ours and uh, we really wish you uh, well and all the best. Bless you. Thank you for listening and I hope you have been inspired and challenged by what you heard. Our next episode will focus on transforming masculinities, which is TFN's model for preventing sexual and gender-based violence. I will be in conversation with Prabhu Deepan, who developed this approach, and will be speaking to us from his home in Sri Lanka. We hope you join us again. In the meantime, if you want to find out more about our work or catch up on previous episodes of the Faith in Development podcast, please visit learn.com tearfund.org. See you next time.